I'm so thankful that each of you are here today, this special Lord's Day, this Easter Sunday. But did you know that every Lord's Day is a very special day? We make a big deal of Easter Sunday, don't we? It's for good reason. It's for very good reason. And we've sung of it, right? You've heard the scriptures already. We speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's for good reason that we make a big deal of Easter Sunday when we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But did you know that every Sunday, we call, we call Sundays around here the Lord's Day. You know why? Because it was on, on Sunday he rose from the dead. And we say that's the Lord's Day. And that's when the Christian church meets now to, to, to worship God, to worship together, to, to study his word together, be reminded of his truths. And today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But did you know that every Sunday is a Lord's Day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's every Sunday. Now, why do I say that? Well, there are several reasons each Lord's Day that we gather together is a very special day. One of those is because this Lord's Day is a, is a day that we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we do every Sunday. But this is also a very special day It's a special day because we gather together to open God's Word. You realize that? There's something very special about saying this is, this is God's Word. This is God's Word to us. This is how He speaks to us today, through the written Word. And it's a special day because we've gathered together to open the Word of God and say this is the Word of God. This is what God is saying to us. And so there's another reason I'm so thankful you're here today because maybe you didn't realize you were coming for this purpose, but you've come together to hear the word of God. Not to hear me, not to hear anybody else or anything else, but to hear God speak to you from the pages of his word. Let's think of it this way. Why do we have services on Sunday that are primarily dedicated to the preaching of the word of God? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Why do we have services on Sunday that are primarily primarily devoted to proclaiming the Word of God? Why do we gather Sunday morning and Sunday evening nearly every Sunday of the year? We're not going to gather tonight. You heard that probably. We want you to be able to enjoy our time of fellowship following the service this morning, so we encourage you to stay whether you were prepared for that or not. We have food. And we want to share it with you and share fellowship with you. We want to be able to relax and enjoy that time. No service tonight, but typically, almost every Sunday of the year, we have a morning service where we come and we open God's Word. We come back on Sunday night, we open the Word again. Why do we do that? Why do we gather almost every Sunday of the year to hear from God's Word and hear it proclaimed and preached? Because we believe, we believe God's Word is true. And it's absolutely necessary for our very lives. It sustains us. It sustains the believer who trusts in God to, to come to his word and say, your word sustains me. I need the word. We, we come together to proclaim and preach and teach the word of God because we believe God's word. We believe it's true when it tells us in Romans 10, 17 that faith comes from hearing 
and hearing through the word of Christ. Or as the New English translation translates Romans 10:17, consequently, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the preached word of Christ. And so we preach. We don't preach man's word. You don't gather here, I trust, to hear my opinions. For one thing, I want my opinions to be shaped by God's word, and really they shouldn't be my opinions. I should be able to say, thus says the Lord. This is what God's word says. And if I can't say that, I should sit down and shut up, right? I should speak what God's word says. This is the, this is the task of the one who proclaims and preaches and teaches the word. And as a church, we hold a very high view of God's word as we should. And one of the reasons we do is because we understand that our faith grows as we hear the word and believe in God's word and apply it to our lives. That means obey it. We need, we need those things. We need to do those things. Not only hear, but believe and take steps of obedience. As we hear in our passage this morning in Hebrews 4, listen to verse 12 again, look at it again. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so we gather for worship. We call this a worship service, but we gather primarily to to join together to, to, to hear the word of God proclaimed and preached. We gather for worship services where we make the preaching of God's word central. Maybe you never thought about this, but why do we have a pulpit right in the middle of this platform? Because this pulpit stands for the truth of the word proclaimed, the, the word of God that rests here as we lift it up and proclaim the truth of God's word. The word of God is central to our very lives. The word of God is central to the very life of the church. And as soon as we set the word of God aside, we cease to be the church. The word is central because it's by the word of God our lives are exposed. Do you hear that in verse 12? It's by the word of God our souls are laid bare for what they really are. It's by the word of God that that our lives are taught, that we're instructed, that we're corrected, that we're encouraged, that we're strengthened. You need the word of God. I desperately need the word of God. I'm going to suggest you desperately need the the word of God too. but, But I want you to feel that for yourselves. Because if you don't realize you're desperate, you won't open and read the word. I just know I'm desperate. And it's all for our own good that God's word lays our souls bare, isn't it? It shows us who we really are. It exposes who we really are. It shows shows the light of righteousness on the dark heart of sin that often dwells in us because we, even if you're a believer, you still fight the old nature, right? You still fight sin and the desires of the flesh, as God's word says. Now, at the beginning of verse 12, 
there's a little word, the word for, F-O-R, for, for the word of God is living and active. Now that little word for means there's a connection between this verse and the ones that come before it. And I'm going to suggest there's a, there's a close connection between, between verse 11 and verse 12. And I want you to note the connection between those two verses. Look at verse 11. Back up to verse 11 where it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, you may not have been here for our previous studies, but last week we looked at verses 1 through 11, and we noted there that the writer of Hebrews makes clear that God's promise still stands. God's promise still stands, and it still remains today. Now, what is the promise? You might be saying, what is the promise? Especially if you haven't been here, you might be thinking, what's the promise? Tell me the promise. I want to know. you got a secret. <laughs> Tell me. Verse 1 says it, therefore... Thankfully, God doesn't keep this secret. Therefore, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, think of it, what is God's rest? God's rest, there is a promise of rest for all who believe in Jesus Christ. There's a promise of rest, eternal rest for all who believe in Jesus Christ. But there is a warning given here by the example shown in these first 11 verses of chapter 4, which is that the Israelites, it points back to the Old Testament and the example of the Israelites, the bad example of the Israelites. They could not enter the promised land. And why was that? We learned back in chapter 3 it was because of unbelief. Chapter 3, verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter. Why? Because of unbelief. Unbelief is dangerous. Unbelief can be tragic. And what was it they failed to believe? Hebrews 4.2 says, For good news came to us, justice to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The message they heard did them no good. So they heard a message. It was the good news. It was good news that God proclaims to all. Even, even in the Old Testament, we find that there's good news. Sometimes we think that there's only good news in the New Testament. We say that's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week. We discover here that there's actually good news proclaimed in the Old Testament. And the good news is, is that God is gracious and loving and forgiving for all who believe in God. Those Old Testament believers were God believers. They believed in God. They didn't have Christ to put their faith in yet. But they believe, if they believe in God, God's a gracious and merciful and loving and forgiving God. That's the good news of the Old Testament. They had heard that. And then God comes along and says, I'm going to give you the promised land. Trust me. You're going to dwell there. You're going to reside there in safety and security and provision. The good news, as verse 2 says, did them no good. Why? Because they did not believe it. Tragic. They were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, with those who had faith and believed. They did not believe the good news. So because of their unbelief in the promises of God, I want you to remember this. You see, God had told them that they were to enter the promised land 
He told them that he would care for them. He told them that they'd, he'd, they'd be provided for. He'd be gracious and provide for their needs. But because of their unbelief, if you know the story, you know they actually listened to the spies. They sent in some, some spies to do a little recon, right? Reconnaissance, go in and check out the land that God said he's going to give us. Let's find out what's it going to be like. And these ten spies came back and eight of them said, Giants, giants, danger. We can't go there. They'll, they'll kill us. They'll slaughter us. They're huge. They're bigger than we are. We're in deep trouble. They came back, in other words, faithless. You see, faith, faith, it has to fly in the face of sometimes what you see. Because God's word proclaims what we must believe in, and sometimes we look around and we see things that say, oh, I'm not sure I can believe this. I know what God's word says, but I'm just not sure I can trust God. Shame on us. Shame on them. Shame on the Israelites, right? We think, how foolish. Well, we do the same thing. Eight of the spies came back faithless and fearful of the inhabitants of the promised land who seemed to them to be giants. And all of them, but two of the spies, doubted God. You know who the two were, Joshua and Caleb. They trusted God. They came back and they told God's people something else. Milk and honey flows there. God's provision is waiting for us. Believe God. Trust Him. Those those giants, they're going to be like bread to us. They'll crumble in our hands. We heard it last week. Joshua and Caleb were the only two who believed God because the people believed that eight faithless spies instead. Because of their unbelief in God's promises, God said, I will not allow you to enter the promised land. I, I, I told you it was yours. All you had to trust me and go. So in verse 11 we're told, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That rest that God makes available today is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, you, you need Jesus Christ. You need to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. That's the rest that God promises you today. You need to believe his word when it says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, right? Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So in verse 11, we're told, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You see, there's danger in unbelief, danger in disobedience. Unbelief is disobedience, you realize that? Now, what I noted here last time was that this rest that we're to strive to enter is the eternal heavenly rest, which is for all who believe in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for all who believe. Now, don't, don't think that you're beyond God's reach to save. Because it's for all who trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus' work was finished at the cross, and he has risen from the dead. We rejoice in that today, and it is finished. And his salvation is for all who trust in Christ, no matter who you are or what you've done. 
This rest the writer of Hebrews is speaking of is what God's word tells us is salvation from sins and eternal life made available through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And he rose from the dead that we might be justified, that we might be redeemed, that we might be made whole. He conquered sin and death and hell and the grave for our sake, that all who trust in him would be saved And it's the finished work of Christ that we celebrate this Easter Sunday morning and every Sunday morning when we gather together to worship. It's because Jesus paid the price for our sins that God's eternal heavenly rest is available to everyone who believes in in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins and was buried, but on the third day he rose from the dead. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus died for our sins and was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the dead and he's living today and he forgives sin. In other words, trust in him. Believe in him. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ and be saved. So the warning from verse 11 is do not disbelieve God's promises. Do not disbelieve God's good news. Do have faith in God's Son and you will enter that rest. The eternal rest of God's forgiveness from sins and eternal life. And then we come to verse 12 and we see the word of God being spoken of and there's the connection between verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 is saying, believe God's promises. You understand that? Verse 11 is saying, do not disbelieve. Believe God's promises, declares and pleads, verse 11. Believe God's promises. Believe God's promises. Believe God's good news. And where do we hear God's promises? Where do we hear it? Where where are we told God's promises? You have a Bible? You have God's promises. You hold them in your hand. If you hold God's word, you have his promises. This is where you find them, right? Where do we hear God's promises? Where do we hear his good news declared in his word? This is one of the reasons God's word says, preach the word. (laughs) Whether it's in season or out of season, sometimes the word is going to be out of season. In other words, people don't want to hear the word. It's okay. God's word says, preach it anyway. Because it's what they desperately need. Sometimes we, we want what we don't need and we don't want what we do need. When we don't think we need the word, yes, we do. Right? And so God says, preach the word. Be faithful in season and out of season. Re- reprove, rebuke, exhort. Do it with patience. Right? Why? Because we need the word. And if we don't believe in God's word, we're gonna, we're gonna punish, be punished. Because a righteous God cannot stand in the face of our, of our disbelief and look at our sin and look the other way. How dare we not believe God's gracious, good word? Because eternal life flows from the word. When we look to the word, when we hear it proclaimed, we say, that's God speaking to me. I must believe in his son. If, if I don't, I won't be saved. I'll, I'll face and eternal separation from God and punishment in hell. And that is God's word. And so we plead, believe. 
Verse 11 pleads, believe, do not disbelieve, do not disobey God, do not be like those who fell in the desert because of their unbelief. So believe God's word. Why? Verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's why you should believe God's word, says verse 12, because it is living and active. This is not an ordinary book. Now, the pages, and I've got this nice leather, leather-bound leather Bible, nothing, nothing special about the leather and the binding and the glue and the stitching and the paper, but the words, the words, the words of God are living and active. God's word is like no other book. Puritan writer Thomas Brooks says of the living and active word of God, the word of the Lord is a light to guide you, a counsel to counsel you, a comforter to comfort you, a staff to support you, a sword to defend you, and a physician to cure you. The word is a mine to enrich you, a robe to clothe you, and a crown to crown you. True, all true. And Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 1, Verses 23 through 25. 1 Peter 1, 23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but... The word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord is living and active, and it remains forever. Note also, the word of God is compared here to a sharp two-edged sword. A sharp two-edged sword. And the word used here in the original languages was for the, for the up-close and personal sword that a soldier would use in hand-to-hand combat. The people living in the day that this was written would know all about this. Every soldier carried this sword, the sharp, short, two-edged sword that in the up-close and personal hand-to-hand combat would pierce right to the vital organs to take a life when it was necessary. And that's the word the writer uses in the original language to talk about the living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword of God's word. The sword of God's word can get right, right to the spiritual organs that need attention and do what they need to do. It's an incredibly sharp, two-edged sword that pierces all the way through all kinds of things that would get in its way. The Word of God is no, I I was thinking about this week, it's no hypodermic needle. Some of us don't like hypodermic needles, right? I try to be a man about those kinds of things. It's like, give me a shot. I don't care. I'll take it. But I'm like, you know, I hope it doesn't hurt. 
I just had to laugh. Fortunately, it was never me. Standing in line for vaccinations when I was in the military, you know, you get in these long, long lines and stand there for forever. It was like the military, hurry up and wait. And you'd hurry somewhere and wait and wait and wait. You wait in these lines, and some guys would stand there, and they'd lock their knees out. You know what happens if you do that for too long? You eventually go, whoop, over, boom, down you go. Guess what the Navy corpsmen would do when they would run out? They would grab their, their guns, these little guns that they shot shot us with, and go out and get these these Marine recruits who had collapsed on the pavement and go, do, 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 and shoot them in the arms really quick while they're out. <laughs> He's done when he wakes up. Tell him he can go back to the barracks. Because they figured, well, he might be a little bit squeamish, so he, we'll take care of him now. But the, but the word, and, and you know, we'd get those shots, I could hardly feel them. Like a little puff of air, and you go, well, that's it. That's it. Inoculated. Boom, I'm done. That's not the word. The word is like a sharp, two-edged sword that opens. It's like a surgeon's scalpel. Guess what you want a surgeon to do with you if you have cancer? You want him to cut right? You want him to open you up and go out, go in and get the stuff that shouldn't be there and get it out. You want him to use a sharp, sharp scalpel to go do that work, right? Guess what happens? Guess what you want a surgeon to do if your body is damaged, right? If you've fallen or you've hurt yourself or you've pulled something that shouldn't have been pulled, right? Damaged some ligaments and tendons and I have no clue what I'm talking about. I just know that a surgeon does repair work, right? What do you want a surgeon to do with a knife? He's going to take it and cut and go in and do repair work on you. You want him to cut you. Guess what? You ought to want the word to do its repair work, to do its surgery on your soul. God's word is like a surgeon's scalpel, a soldier's sword. It does the work for which it was intended on our souls. It's a surgeon's knife. It does precision work with the soul of the one who listens to it, with the soul of the one who believes. God's word is capable of piercing to the deepest part of your soul and mine. And the point the writer of Hebrews is making here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this. Because The word of God is capable of piercing to the deepest part of the soul. What will it find when it gets there? Will it find faith? Because verse 11 is dealing with, think about verse 11. Verse 11 is dealing with believing God's word. Do not disbelieve is verse 11. Verse 11 is dealing with believing God's word, believing God's good news promises, having faith in God, having faith in his son, Jesus. Verse 12 is saying, will the word of God find faith when it pierces to the deepest part of your soul to do its work? Now, why do I say that? Why do I suggest that God is telling us that the sharp two-edged sword of the word is piercing our soul to see if it will find faith? Because a lot of times we use that word and we say the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, right? And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we say, praise God for his word because it's going to help me and, and strengthen me, give me just what I need. 
And that's all true. But in the context of, of what comes before, when, it's, when, the, when the passage before is talking about unbelief and do not disbelieve but believe God, and then it goes to the word, I'm suggesting that this is, think about it, note the word discerning. The word discerns whether you have faith or not. God's word knows you better than you know yourself. So when God's word pierces into your life, your soul, into the deepest, darkest recesses of your heart, what will it find? Will it find faith? Will it find that you believe God's promises? Or will you, will you be exposed for having no faith? Will you be a Christian in name only? Will it find unbelief and doubt, or will it find faith? How do we know this to be true, that the double-edged sword of the word of God can discern whether I have a heart of faith or a heart of unbelief? And you, trust me, you want the word to do this work. You don't want to be thinking you're on your way to heaven because you go to church or because you were raised going to church or because your parents said that they were believers or because you happen to read the Bible or for any other host of reasons short of trusting in Jesus Christ alone. You don't want to think you're going to heaven if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. You want the word to do this work. How do we know this to be true that it does that? Look at verse 13 again. Verse 13 says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You cannot hide from God's word. If you will get it into your life, if you will read it, if you will memorize it, it will expose what's really there in your heart. And the one who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the word will correct, admonish, right? It'll do surgery, it'll do the removal work, but it'll also do the healing work. It'll give life, it'll give joy, it'll give peace, contentment. It'll give rest in the midst of turmoil because you're trusting in the promises of God. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There's a serious reminder there. If you disbelieve God's promises, when you give an account, he will say, depart, depart from me. I never knew you. You do not want to be that person on the judgment day that Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. You cannot hide anything from God's word, and that's a good thing. So the question for you and me this morning is this. Will you trust in the promises of God? Will I trust in the promises of God? I must answer that question for myself, and you must answer that question for yourself. Will you trust in the promises of God? Or, you see, there's another option. Will you trust in the promises of sin? See, if you trust in the promises of God, you're going to believe God's promises when you're tempted to sin. This is why you need God's word. You need it fresh in your mind. 
need it fresh in your heart. You need to hold it in your hands every day and read God's Word so that when you're tempted to, to sin and do those things which God's Word proclaims are sin, and God's Word is pretty clear about a lot of things that, that the world says, oh, no, this is okay, and God's Word says otherwise. When you get the Word in, the Word helps correct you, right, and set you straight and puts you on the right path to Christ-likeness. And so if you say, I trust in God, I, I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I've been saved, well, then get the Word in. Keep getting the Word in. Because it will protect you from temptation to sin. It will give you victory. It will give you the strength to say, no, because I know God's Word tells me righteousness is so much better. Being obedient to God is so much better, no matter what others are doing around me. So will you trust in the promises of God? Or are you going to trust in the promises of sin because, because the, the promises of sin whisper in our ears, oh, it's not so bad. I mean, look at who's doing it. it it'll be good. It'll be good. It, it's okay. Or you can ask God for forgiveness later. Enjoy now. But the promises of sin are dangerous. If you trust in the promises of God's word, you're going to believe God's promises. Especially when you're tempted to sin. But if you refuse and you listen and believe the promises of sin, that there is more joy in sin than there is in believing God's promises and obeying God's promises, then verse 11 calls out to you, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What disobedience? Unbelief. Do not disbelieve God's word. Do not allow yourself to be deceived by sin into thinking that God's promises aren't true. And here's the point. God is calling you to enter his rest through faith in his son. But how do you get there? Well, you get there by believing in the risen son this Easter Sunday. And I think as Ed Grace said earlier, if you've not trusted Christ, today would be an incredible day for you to finally put your trust in Christ and be saved this Easter Sunday. We get there by believing in the risen Son. We reach God's promised rest of forgiveness of sins through faith in the risen Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 telling us the path to belief in Jesus is? It's the Word. It's the Word of God. God's promises. That's why I am, if you hang around here long enough, you're going to hear me tell you again and again and again. That's why I'm always telling you to read God's Word. Read God's Word. Hear God's word. Come and hear God's word proclaimed. Read God's word for yourself. Listen to the preaching of the word and listen to the preaching of the word into your life as you read it. May I suggest this morning that some of you, I don't know this, but I'm guessing with, with a number of us here this morning, it's very likely that some of you are considering doing something you know is opposed to God's word. And you've been challenged by the truth of God's word today. You've been challenged by the truth of the word that you've heard, and you've been reminded of the things 
that you know about God's word that speak about the thing you're thinking about doing. And the word is penetrated to the deepest part of your soul to reveal whether you really believe God or not. You've been reminded of the truth you know and you should obey. Now, I don't know who you are, but guess what? God does, and his word does. And the danger is that if you do not believe God, you're going to throw off the word, the living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword word. If you do not believe God, you're going to throw off his word, and you're going to say, I don't need that. Or you might believe the lie from Satan that you're too busy to read the word. Although your television says something different, right? And so does mine. And God's word is saying here in Hebrews 4 that you will not enter God's rest if that's how you treat his word. God's word is saying that if you throw off his word, you disbelieve. And if you don't believe him, you haven't trusted in his son, no matter what you say. You see, you can say you believe, but God knows your heart. The word knows your heart. If you throw off and disregard God's word and continue to disobey it, his word will expose your heart of unbelief. And if you realize it, if your heart isn't hardened to the point where you won't realize it, but if you realize it, now's a good time to repent and believe in Jesus and be saved. So what should we do with the word? Be diligent with the word, people, right? God's people know this, but sometimes we don't even do this as we should. Be diligent with the word. What do I mean? I mean fear unbelief. And know that it is the word that helps you with your unbelief. And so get the word into your life. See, I told you, if you hang around here long enough, you're going to hear me say this again and again. Read the word. Be diligent with the word. Fear unbelief. Believe God's word. I'll say it again. Read the word. But don't only read it. See, I can't stop there. Don't just read it. Believe it. Believe God's word. But don't stop there. You know what's next? Obey. Do it. Obey God's word. Believe it and obey it. Don't just say you believe it. Show God you believe it by obeying it. And that means daily, even if it's little baby steps of obedience. God is pleased. God is God is overjoyed to see you take a step of obedience rather than a step of disbelief. And know this, that if you will get the word of God into your life by reading it, by memorizing it, by coming together with God's people to hear it preached, and if you will believe it and obey it, God's word will expose your heart for what it is, and you desperately need God's word to do this work. And it will find out whether you believe it or not. And it will find out if you truly have faith in Christ, the risen Savior. Praise God. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we do praise you for your word.
the sharp and two-edged sword of the Word, the living and active and powerful Word. Oh Lord, help Your people. Help those who proclaim the name of Christ to truly trust Your Word, believe it, seek to obey it, get the Word in every day. And God, I pray for unbelievers here today who have heard the Word proclaimed and know that salvation from sins is only available to those who who repent of their sin and believe in Jesus, God, help them to see this truth. Help them to to believe this truth. And Lord, help them even now, even in this moment, to confess their sin to you and trust in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will praise you that you forgive their sins and save them, making them your own. Lord, we praise you for the written word. We praise you for the living word, which is Christ. And Lord, I pray that as a church, we would never depart from your truth, that we would stand on it, stand by it as our standard for conduct and practice, for belief, for our preaching, for our teaching, for our living, for our conversations, for the way that we do our work, in the world in which we live, for the way that we interact with our neighbors, for the way that we raise up our families. Oh God, I pray, help us to see that this word is is a light to our feet, to light the path of our lives, to, to light the way for us as we put our trust in Jesus Christ and believe in your word. Lord, help us to see that there is life and joy and contentment and many, many blessings, far more than than if we were to turn from your word and pursue sin. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our midst today. Lord, now help us as we go our separate ways, as as we go to a time of fellowship this afternoon. Help us to not forget these truths that your spirit proclaims to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.